Locked on NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Cleveland to speak with Chris Manning of Locked On Cavs about the Ty Lue firing and what this means for the Cavaliers' season. We'll go to Toronto to speak with Sean Woodley of Locked On Raptors about the 6-0 Toronto Raptors, how well Kawhi Leonard has fit in and how this season looks to progress. And lastly, we go to Sacramento to speak with Matt George of Locked On Kings about the surprising 500 Sacramento Kings, including a couple of big victories and how their season has uh, looked a little bit better than many people were expecting. It's all coming up. The biggest story with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am the host of the Monday show on Locked On NBA, Josh Lloyd, also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. Go find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble. And make sure you are checking out the Locked On Podcast Network on Twitter at Locked On NBA Net to get all the best tweets across the entire the entirety of the Locked On NBA Network. Check that out. NBA season is uh, fully fully in, uh, in swing. Injuries surprising performances, teams struggling, teams overachieving. We're going to talk about a bit of that today, including, of course, the Cavs firing Ty Lue, the first coach gone. So let's get to it. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Cavs podcast, Chris Manning, as we are here to discuss the news that Tyron Lue has been fired by the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's been a mess of a start to the season for the Cavs. They have yet to win a game. They've been blown out in many of those uh, of those games. Chris, it did feel like Lou was going to, to struggle this season and even maybe to hold his job after the year. But six games in, it it, uh, it took me by surprise. How did you feel? And how was the, uh, I guess, reaction to the Lou firing in uh, in Cavs, uh, in the Cavs area? You know, I think uh, the thing about the, the timing of it, I think it is surprising. Six games is not a lot. Six games when you've had Kevin Love without two when Look, it is an adjustment to not have LeBron James on your team anymore in every facet of, of that reality, and, and that takes time. Um, you know, there there is there has been just some friction, I think, going on for a while now between what the front office really wanted and what the what Lou kind of wanted to do. And look, you, you saw just sort of how the veterans reacted to Lou. I think that kind of encompasses sort of what it means. Those guys trusted him. Those guys believed in him. And I don't think they're quite happy to see him go, and it doesn't quite sell them, I think, on this team trying to compete this year. I think that that sends a tough message because Ty was going to try to do um, right by those guys just because that's sort of how he he operates. And, you know, I, I think overall it's been taken with some shock, I think. Um, there are a lot of people that don't think Ty's a good coach. I tend to disagree with those sentiments, but I also think, um, look, he maybe it wasn't the right guy for this job. I think six games is maybe a little bit hasty. They also do owe him still $15 million, and the Cavs still now are paying three coaches. So... That, that's where they are now, and it's just it adds just to another layer of the like sort of the incompetence that the Cavs have shown off this year. The the start of the season hadn't been great, and there's reports you know, come through via the, the Joe Varden and the Athletic about the front office pushing on Lou to, to play the youngsters more minutes to get more minutes into Colin Sexton, and Lou pushing back by reintroducing the veterans J.R. Smith, Kyle Corver into the rotation by starting Channing Fry when Kevin Love was out with discontent with Kevin Love 
you know, being told that the team wasn't going to be tanking and then you know, two games in the front office is pushing for the youngsters. Is you know, Where are we at now with these guys like Love and George Hill and J.R. Smith with this Lou firing, with you know, Love perhaps feeling like he may have been misled in signing that contract extension? Is there an issue here that could uh, you know, start to really fester as the season goes on as the front office pivots from what uh, these veteran players were told? I, I, you know, I, I think on a case by case basis, we have to kind of see and see what they say, see sort of what, um, you know, gets leaked out there. And, but I, I'd heard that same kind of discontent from guys. And if you just look at how a lot of guys are responding, Kevin Love was not happy. Uh, the, the last game I was at, um, they, they lost to the Nets. He was not happy in that game at all. Uh, George Hill is not a guy that took a very similar situation. Uh, last, well, last year when he was with the Kings, and I don't think he's going to be particularly happy. JR has already been just Instagramming and tweeting his his heart away about how he's unhappy with the, with the organization. And I don't believe, to my understanding, that is not necessarily something that is about Ty. That was about the front office. Um, these guys are not going to get better. And with Kevin Love specifically, and I think Jerson Thompson in here too, these are guys that I think want to do right, that are saying are things, that believe they can teach young guys are things and still win that way. This is not the type of move that I think sends that kind of message to those guys. Um, they, they were already frustrated sending some kind of some kind of frustrated language out there in their media comments talking about not the team are having fight and all these different things, um, not wanting to rebuild. I don't. I, I do not think this 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 is the type of move that will allow you to kind of better reach those guys in the locker room. Even if Larry Drew, as a coach, is a guy that I think will, those guys should have some trust in, um, and is a veteran coach and all these things. Getting rid of Ty, a guy that won a title, a guy that is an ex-player, a guy that has the respect of that locker room to the utmost degree, uh, largely speaking, I don't, I don't think that helps kind of calm some of the frustrations that are, that are boiling over right now. So with the, the coaching situation, now what's the latest, Chris, on uh, on the who's going to be the coach? We're hearing reports from Woj and Shams that Larry, Larry Drew is perhaps balking at taking on the interim coach term with you know, him wanting a little bit more of a longer-term guarantee. It looks like he's still going to be in charge at the moment but doesn't want to be labeled with that interim head coach uh, moniker, I guess, at this point. Yeah, that's the latest thing that's out there, and I think for him that's fair. He's a guy that he's been NBA coach, head coach before. He wants to do it again, um, and I, I do say we'll say this: if the Cavs were going to do this now, this is not a this is not a franchise that I think it makes sense for to rush into their next coaching hire. I understand that Larry Drew wants a coaching job. I can understand if he wants this job, if he, if he feels like he could be a winner in this job and and fits the what's going on here. I, I can understand that. My thing with that is a why the Cavs have no reason to give that right now. They sh- they should be taking their time. They should be taking the the most um, just time and care and making sure they're picking the right guy because or the next woman they're they're picking the right person for this job has to kind of help someone develop has to help them maybe get the most out of Kevin Love. That it's a tough job. It's a it's a job where you want to make sure they have they they j- mellow with j- uh, mesh with Kobe Altman, mesh with Dan Gilbert. There's a lot of compromising factors, and this is, they just can't rush into this. This is a team. This is an organization that, from the top down, has to prove that it can be competent without LeBron James. That starts is going to start with a coaching hire. It started with drafting Con Sexton and, and trying to develop Jetty and, and the Kevin Love stuff. It continues in a big, big way with this coaching hire. And I think Larry Drew. I mean, it remains to be seen exactly what that title is going to be. He hasn't spoken to the media yet. All these things, and the team has just released that one statement. But they, in terms of a hire, I, I would be sh- I would be I would be a little bit skeptical of why they would give him that full time job now, unless he just blows them away. Um, to me, it sort of seems like going to be a, an elongated version of sort of what Joe Prunty was 
um, you know, with Milwaukee last year. And maybe it's like Bickerstaff in Memphis, I believe, who took the intern job, became the head coach. But if I was them, I would not commit to a guy like Larry Drew. I think you need to see this season out. As uncomfortable as it is, you're going to be bad as it is, and then do a f- and keep start start your coaching search now and take your time. Find the right guy. Find the right person for that job that that makes the most sense. You never know, Chris. After this season, David Blatt could become available, and we'll see uh, see what happens. Uh, Bring back. him home. Bring Blatt home. <laughs> but one last thing before I let you go, Chris, is Kevin Love's injury. He's missed the last couple of games with foot soreness, and Mark Stein of the New York Times reporting today that one of the ways of, of perhaps treating this is to give him an extended period of rest, which of course doesn't sound great. We know that Love battled this foot injury through preseason. What's what's the, the latest or what's the feeling you're getting about this foot injury? Is there anything to say what it actually is? Is there any, any you know, scans done, x-rays, ligament issues? What's, what's the actual problem with Love, if we know? And uh, where does this leave him for the you know, the short term here for Cleveland? The, I think the where we have it right now is foot soreness. Um, I think that's that's a very vague term. We don't know the cause of it. Um, as far as I know, and Stein had the, had this information first, and I had this corroborated with folks, um, it is something they're going to to set on a timeline for his return this week, Monday, Tuesday. Um, I doubt he plays Tuesday against against the against the Hawks, which will be Larry's use first game. Um I think it remains to be seen exactly how long he's going to be out, but it's not good. This is a guy that does have injury history, right? He has had the back issues. He's had the hand breaks. He's had some achy knees. This is not a – he's 30 years old now or just right at 30 years old. This is not a guy that has a sterling health record. They need him to be healthy. They need him to be just around, I think. And if he's hurt, if he's out for a while, it's not going to help anybody. It's not going to help Larry Drew. It's not going to help Jetty Osmond. It's not going to help Count Sexton. not going to help morale on the team. I mean, look, and if, if you wanted to look at potentially flipping Kevin Love, if the Cavs, which the Cavs could do later this year, in like February, we're just before the deadline, or January, just before the deadline, him being hurt does not help his trade value, which I'm not sure would be that high anyway, frankly. Um, and But this doesn't help an already exasperated situation. But I think Monday, Tuesday of this week, when the Cavs will have to answer questions about it again, and, and that's sort of the information that's out there right now, that they are going to set a timeline for his return Monday, Tuesday, I think that makes sense, and and frankly, I do I do think you, what you're hearing now is just I'm going to be very cautious with him, keep him around, and see if he helps the young guys, and even if he's not playing. But this could be the start of just the full out, um, without saying it, the tanking process for this cast team. They may they may push back against the word rebuild, against the word tank, but that's I think the very clear direction that everything we're seeing today and seeing the last start of the season. That's that's clearly I think where the season's headed. Yeah, it does appear that's going to be the case. Now, for all the news on what happens with his interim coach and of course some trades that may be coming throughout the season, make sure you're checking out Chris on Locked On Cavs. Chris, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA and reacting to the uh, Tyrone Lou firing. Thanks, as always, Josh. We all love a great night out, so whether it's seeing your favorite band in person, a comedy show, a musical, or of course a sporting event, the NBA season, we're well aware that that's kicked off, got the NFL, the NHL, um, maybe maybe you can go see a World Series game if that is still going by the time you hear this ad. Vivid Seats is the place that you can go to to get those tickets for that sporting event of your choice. It's the top source for tickets for all the live events that you want to go to. Sort by price or look for the seats in the section or row of your choice, and to make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for all new customers to receive $20 off any order of $200 or more to save you even more money. Go to the App Store, go to Google Play, and download the Vivid Seats app and use the promo code Locked On, all one word, to save $20 off any order of $200 or more for new customers. 
Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. So for the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app, enter the promo code Locked On for orders of $200 or more, you will save $20 off for any new customer. Download that app, use that promo code and make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Raptors podcast. It is Sean Woodley. The Raptors are currently sitting 6-0 and with a big game coming up against the uh, also 6-0 and Milwaukee Bucks. Sean, I don't think that the season could have gone any better that, uh, than any Raptors fan could have hoped for with the integration of Kawhi Leonard. It's been a, it's been a dream start. Yeah, it's kind of happened uh, a lot faster than I thought it would. That's for sure. I thought, you know, there was a lot of talk coming into the season about some other teams maybe having a bit of a step up, like the Celtics, for example. Yes, they had to work some guys in, but they had the same coach from last year who there's a lot of continuity there and guys getting better. Whereas with the Raptors, it's a new coach, it's a new superstar. And it, you know, it would have made sense if they took some time to figure it out. But they've kind of gotten lucky a little bit because they've had a pretty easy schedule. I mean, they're playing a lot of teams that on paper are good, but are like completely disasters they've played like the wizards and the and the wolves so far which is always nice but um like they've looked pretty good in all their games and the way Kawhi has played i think is the most encouraging thing because that was the big question right and this was the gamble the raptors made was that he was going to be able to get back to his you know typical borderline mvp level of play and it's happened in under 10 games and that was something i don't think anyone really expected but the way he shot, you know, he's, he's had some inconsistencies, I guess, with his shot from game to game. But for the most part, he's been super duper efficient. His playmaking numbers aren't like crazy through the roof. But just to see if you watch him play, he seems to be really fitting in with the offense really well. He's making a lot of nice passes and and he's not like he, he's hijacking the offense or anything like that. I think a lot of guys have just kind of missed shots when they've come from him for some reason. But everything else has been just absolutely there. His defense has been terrifying. He, you know, people know, I think I've probably seen the no look steal that he made I mean he's very much at his peak defensive levels and, and the Raptors are really benefiting from that too and it all kind of trickles down from there and yeah the way it all has fit together it, it's come a lot I, I thought it would look like this at some point this year I really thought this team was going to be excellent I picked them to win 60 games but I didn't think it happened this soon I picked them to win the Eastern Conference, get in the final Eastern Conference Finals, get in the NBA Finals. And again, I, like you, I'm surprised at how well it's come together. Kawhi's averaging over 26.5 points per game, eight rebounds. And as you said, shooting 50% from the field and 92% from the free throw line, including 46% from three. We know he's good, but I think some people will be surprised at just how well he's played to start off. But also, Sean... Kyle Lowry is off to a red-hot start. There was talk that he was upset with the organization and maybe the effort might not quite be there with Kyle heading into this season after his good friend DeMar DeRozan was traded. He seemed uh, a little bit upset and there was you know, rumblings of you know, discontent about the way it was handled, but he has come out. He has dominated, averaging 20 and 10 so far and looks better than maybe he has for the last two to three seasons. How much of that is... Uh, Kyle, how much of that is Kawhi, how much of that is Nick Nurse, or is it a combination of all of those things really just creating this perfect storm for for a red-hot star for Kyle Lowry? Yeah, there's probably a little bit of all of it. I mean, first of all, the off-season stuff about him not being like motivated to play, it, that was always just like an extremely off-season storyline to me. And if anyone knows Kyle, like Kyle's an insanely competitive and also ridiculously intelligent basketball player. And I think if anybody realized the upgrade that Kawhi Leonard was on this roster over DeMar DeRozan, it's Kyle Lowry. So whenever they got together to play on the court, it was always going to work, at least in my mind. And yeah, I think... One of the things that has kind of led to an uptick in his production this season is 
that Nick Nurse is very eager to have him have the ball in his hands a lot more. Last year, he kind of became a bit of a decoy a lot of times, especially late in games. It really kind of bothered me watching Kyle Lowry hang off, hang out off the ball while DeMar DeRozan and Fred Van Vliet kind of traded possessions late in the game. And, you know, Kyle was kind of relegated to third duty at times. And that didn't seem like smart to me because he's excellent and was the best player on the team. And that didn't seem like a good use of resources. This season, you know, his minutes are up a tiny little bit. I would imagine they'll come down at some point once the Raptors are fully healthy and they have Fred Van Vliet and DeLong right back. But until then, you know, the, the minutes he's playing and just the the amount of times he's being asked to dictate the, the flow of the offense, it's, it's just not what was the case last season. He's being tasked with a lot more responsibility. Nick Nurse has talked about even late in games subbing Fred Van Vliet out early on in the season in order to get and just sort of force the ball into Kyle's hands more often because he's so good with the ball in his hands and you're seeing it over 10 assists a game right now like I don't think that's going to hold up his career high I think is like maybe just shy of eight but just the way that he sees the offense right now the way he's seeing the floor and just sort of the gravity that he creates you know teams are selling out to stop him you know Nick Nurse said that Kyle's been talking about feeling the defense at 35, 40 feet away from the basket so far this season. And when that happens, there's just th- that many more sort of open windows to send passes around and get the ball swinging the way the Raptors really like to. So uh, I, the way that the Raptors are playing, the sort of pressure that Kawhi Leonard alleviates on, on Lowry and just the way Nick Nurse has tried to you know force the ball into his hands more often, I think is all kind of why you're seeing him have you know the numbers he's having. Also, he's shooting the freaking lights out, and yeah. that won't last forever, but... Like he'll have these stretches where he shoots 55% from from three for a month. And that is when Kyle Lowry's at his very, very best. The Raptors have the fourth best offense in the NBA, the ninth best defense. These are all you know, key ingredients to you know, really, really strong teams. The other thing that uh, Nurse is doing, especially in that front court, is rotating the starters and the rotations based on matchups. When we've got a mobile center, so when the Raptors go up against someone like Al Horford, Serge Ibaka gets the start, another player who seems reinvigorated this season. When you go against a bigger type center, it's Jonas Valanciunas who goes in there. And regardless of what role either of those two guys are playing, we're seeing a little bit of rotation with OG Ananobi and Pascal. Siakam as well but regardless of how those guys are going Ibaka and Valanciunas if JV moves to the bench he's just dominating the second unit if he moves into the starting lineup against the bigger guys he's really working to his strengths and it appears as though that Nurse has really unlocked that and Valanciunas has been criticized by many people for his struggles and defensive liabilities pick and roll that sort of stuff but Nurse is putting him in the best position to get the most out of his talents ditto with Serge Ibaka and it's working like a well-oiled machine at the moment. Yeah, it's a uh, shocker. Putting guys in the position <laughs> and matchups that they are most likely to succeed in actually works. And maybe a lot of coaches around the league for the last, I don't know, 50 years have been doing it wrong by having set starting fives. And, and look, there are reasons to do it. Dwayne Casey was notorious for being you know, strict in what his starting five was going to be. The dude started Luis Scola for like 77 games oh, yeah. and into the playoffs one year. But, like, there, there's an argument for that. There's an argument that you kind of can rack up regular season wins doing that by having guys know their roles and you get consistent output from guys every night. But, you know, the Raptors haven't had consistent starting five so far this year, and they're 6-0. and And both Ibaka and Valanciunas look fantastic when they're in there. Um, Valanciunas is just like, I think he had a game where he like 19 points in 17 minutes at one point this year. Uh, and Ibaka, his rebounding has looked a lot more energetic and spry the first game of the season he picked up like five i think he fouled out mostly on offensive rebounding related transgressions but that that to me shows a bit of energy that he's not had in a long time his block numbers aren't crazy but he's been really good around the rim as a deterrent and sort of altering shots and and he's picked up a few extra blocks the last couple games 
And I, I, yeah, it's it's just it's worked really really well. I'm curious to see against Milwaukee what they're going to do because Brook Lopez could go either way, right? He's kind of more of a bruising, big, you know, rebounding threat of a center, but the Bucks are using him just like a you know strict stretch five. So maybe the Raptors think they'll be able to get away with putting Surge on him and starting with Surge again. Um, you know, it hasn't really mattered because I think no matter who the front court is, whether it's Ibaka, Valanciunas, OG, Pascal, any combination of those guys, when you're playing with a Kawhi Leonard, Kyle. Lowry, Danny Green backcourt, like you're going to be just fine. And they've kind of just eviscerated teams when those three guys are on the court, regardless of who the big men are. And the big men are playing just super well. And I think that's all because Nick Nurse is saying, to hell with this like starting five nonsense. Let's just put the best guys on the court for the given matchup and, and see how the cards fall. Yeah, exactly. It's been it's worked fantastically. Things are exciting in the uh, state of Toronto. Basketball, everyone's uh, really yeah, this is something we thought maybe we'd get in January, February, but it's come together really quickly. There are going to be down moments, of course, Sean, but everything is flying at the moment. So for all your Raptors news, for, to recap on one of the hottest teams in the NBA, make sure you're checking out Sean and Locked On Raptors. Sean, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. Let's now bring in the host of the Locked On Kings podcast, Matt George, is here to discuss the Kings' start to the season, which I think, Matt, would have surprised almost everybody except for uh, Mr. Optimism himself, you. Uh, well, it's been a good start to, to say the least. I don't think I expected um, three and three, which is incredible that the, the Kings are over 500 for the first time since the start of the 2014, 2015 season, which just speaks to the, uh, the rough patch that has been over the past few years uh, for this Kings team. I don't think I would have, uh, I could claim that I expected this team to be three and three. However, I did expect them to be playing, the way that they are playing, which is fast, up-tempo, getting up and down the floor, uh, moving the basketball. I expected them to be a fun team to watch, with they, which they have been. And ultimately, the most or the biggest goal for us in Sacramento for this team was to have them be competitive on a nightly basis, regardless of the level of competition that they were playing. And uh, with the exception of the, the second halves of the Denver game and the second half of the uh, New Orleans game, the, the Kings have delivered in that capacity. So it's, it's been a good start, to say the least. Yeah, those two games against the Pelicans and the Nuggets, they, they got beaten pretty convincingly in the end. But, yeah, huge wins over the Thunder. The Grizzlies won. Yeah, the Grizzlies aren't very good. But, yeah, big win over the imploding Wizards as well. Are things that, even though you can talk about, okay, the Wizards are struggling, the Thunder, they've got their issues. But these are not games that the Kings would have won in the past. They wouldn't have been able to take advantage of a, a team on a long road trip who was struggling like the Wizards and beat them the way they did. And a lot of this, Matt, is coming, I think, based on you know, improved play from Darren Fox, more minutes. It's in a larger role for Buddy Heald, which you know, I personally have been calling out for for quite a while. But Nemanja Bjelica as the starting power forward is providing a, a ton to this team. Some people have been criti- critical of, and, and maybe that's uh, me as well, of him starting over Marvin Bagley. But he's been excellent, especially in these last two victories. Yeah, uh, Nemanja Bjelica was fantastic. I mean, we saw really what he can bring to the table at his best uh, against Washington on, uh, on Friday night. The, the only issue that I have so far is you uh, you mentioned that win and then the win over the Oklahoma City Thunder. It took Nemanja Bjelica and Iman Shumpert to really step up and to provide the bulk of the scoring for the Kings to get those victories. I've liked what I've seen a lot uh, out of De'Aaron Fox. I think we, we've seen the necessary steps. Statistically, uh, he has improved across the board and is on the same pace as, as many uh, great point guards, including, including Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook, for what they were doing in their sophomore seasons. However, we haven't seen that takeover game from either him or Buddy Heald. We still haven't seen it yet from Marvin Bagley either, but that's uh, to be expected seeing as how he's just playing in his, his sixth or fifth and sixth 
uh, NBA games of his career. Uh, I'm a little concerned. I mean, I'm happy with the three and three. Don't get me wrong. A little concerned that it's taken such outpourings from from the veterans in order uh, for them to get there. Uh, but you cannot be disappointed at all with how Nemanja Bjelica is playing. He's doing exactly what you need to do, and which is stretching the floor and shooting. Uh, and the Kings have been in search of a stretch four for quite a long while. So it's a, a breath of fresh air to have that here in Sacramento. For people who may not have watched the Kings that closely this season, how would you grade, say, the first six games of Marvin Bagley's career? He's had a couple of decent performances, 20-point game against the Nuggets, a lot of that largely coming in in garbage time as well. But he's coming off the bench behind Bielitsa, and it seems like he is getting larger roles in those games that do become blowouts. But how has his form looked? Is he developing, or, or does he look sort of how you would have expected at this point in the year? Uh, I think defensively he is beyond uh, what we expected, especially what we saw in summer league. So we saw the the couple matchups that he played here in Sacramento for the California Classic, and then a couple uh, games that he played in Las Vegas and, and standard summer league. And in all of those games he played, he looked lost and really out of place on the defensive end. He wasn't in the right positions. Uh, he was having to uh, recover a lot, but not making the right reads and not able to uh, recover in time. Uh, to make the necessary steps. In that Denver game, he finished that game with five blocks. Now, a lot of that was in the, uh, in not necessarily garbage time, but in the second half against a lot of Denver's second unit. But what we've been seeing from Marvin Bagley on the defensive end of the floor is that he's learned not necessarily how to be a good defender yet. I'm not even close to saying he is a good defender. However, he's able to recover and move his feet and get into good possession uh, positions a lot quicker and a lot better uh, than what we saw in summer league. So defensively above expectations uh, in terms of offense, probably right where you would want or where you would expect, even though he's the number two pick in the draft and there's certain weight that comes with that to be a star or as close to a star out of the gate. And we live in a very, uh, give it to me now, immediate result um, society, and especially here in Sacramento with a lack of patience. Uh, but Marvin Bagley offensively has been performing up to standard. The only major question mark is at what point is he going to work his way into that starting lineup? Uh, and uh, why is he only getting an average of, of 21, 22 minutes per game? And a lot of that just goes back to uh, Dave Yeager. The Kings yeah, said that we've started three and three, a strong start, but the uh, the upcoming games are tough. We've got a uh, four-game road trip, which involves the Miami Heat, the Orlando Magic, the Atlanta Hawks, and the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Now, a couple of those teams there, yeah, the Magic and the Hawks, the Kings would uh, would feel pretty confident, but two games on the road uh, in the middle of a four-game road trip is tough, and then when they get back home, they have to take on the Toronto Raptors, the Timberwolves, the Lakers, and the Spurs. So things could start to you know, you move downwards in, a, in you know, lacking that optimism we've seen from the start. But there are still some winnable games in here, but it is a real test of how this young team now handles themselves on a four-game road trip with a couple of tough games, especially the Miami and Milwaukee games in there. Right, yeah, this four-game road trip is very interesting. You you brought up what they – it's not just this four-game road trip, and typically this team has struggled on Eastern Conference road trips. But you mentioned the schedule when they come home, right? The undefeated Toronto sure. Raptors, they have the Los Angeles Lakers in that stretch, they have the San Antonio Spurs in that stretch. So that's where it really gets interesting, which is why I'm looking to this road trip as a good tune-up for that. Realistically, what this team has shown is that if they play at the pace that they have been playing at, and if they're able to carry that through a 48-minute game, they can tire out their opponents and catch their opponents by surprise. It's my opinion that this team can hang with any other team in the NBA where they show their youth and where they show that they're not there yet is typically in those final three to four minute stretches, right? Where, where the best teams really can flip that and uh, that proverbial switch and close out games and the Kings just haven't gotten there yet. But in the 45 to 44 minutes leading up to that point, 
in my opinion, the Kings can compete and be better uh, than than a lot of teams in the NBA. I have high expectations for this road trip, Josh, to be completely honest with you. Uh, the Miami success that the uh, the Kings had last year wanted to build upon that. I personally don't see the strengths in the Miami team uh, that so many others do. But then again, I'm on the other side of the country. Uh, and I'm looking at these Atlanta games and these Orlando games as games that you must win. Now, you and I had a conversation at the very beginning uh, of the of the year um, or, or during the offseason about uh, reaching expectations or the best case scenario for this team. And I told you that if this team is going to be at their best this season, it would require them to take care of their home floor against the Eastern Conference, which they did against Washington, and also have success on the road against Eastern Conference teams. If this team really wants to make the next jump and and start to, to get some recognition as a team that's growing and moving in the right direction, games like Orlando and games like Atlanta coming up next week are games that they must win. Yeah, they absolutely have to in order to you know, at least push forward this year, positive start to the season. It's going to be interesting. We're all going to be watching the development of guys like Buddy Heal, Darren Fox, and of course, the second overall pick, Marvin Bagley, who have all got off to pretty solid starts this season. There's, uh, I guess, some room for optimism at the moment, and hopefully the Kings can keep this positive uh, trajectory going on. Matt George will have all of that for you on Locked On Kings. Matt, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA. It's a pleasure. Anytime, my friend. Guys, that does it for another episode of Locked On NBA for a Monday. As I mentioned earlier, follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble and the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network at Locked On NBA Net. Subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. Leave a five-star review. It's a great way of getting the word out about this show. Go and do that as well and check out today's sponsor, Vivid Seats, and use that promo code Locked On. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.